Welcome to the Why It Works podcast. I'm Joe Kwan, your host. Together, we'll pull back the curtain to reveal the hidden principles behind why things work. Things work for a reason. Let's find out why. Here with us today is Stefano Mattini. He is the president of Bond & Row, Inc., and works with leaders at mid-sized and Fortune 500 companies to design learning development programs that boost business performance. He is passionate about diagnosing and helping heal the communication breakdowns that plague organizations. We speak to Stefano from his home in Florence on a beautiful spring day. Welcome, Stefano, to the Why It Works podcast, and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So I'm curious a little bit more about your journey uh, to Florence, Italy. We've, we've talked about it a little bit earlier on the phone, but I think our audience would love to know a little bit how you ended up in Florence and some of the things you're doing now. It's been a, it's been a, it's been a circle because I was born in Florence. So I was born here. I grew up here. And then uh, um, after I graduated, I moved to the States. So roughly my life has been spent you know, here in Italy and the U.S., and now I consider both countries to be my home. And I came back uh, because of family issues, essentially. I was supposed to uh, move uh, to London from Chicago. London is a city that I love. But then eventually I came back here and I'd spent seven years. Wow. And how have you found being back? Was it, was it quite an adjustment? It, it, it's, it's brutal. It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> it is, how, it is, how so? It, it's hard because the thing is, um, although obviously I'm familiar with this culture, but after you know 20 years, you spend a different place, you become a different person. Yes, uh, your, your language shift, the way you think, the way you process stuff. I mean, culture really is a, something flexible. You know, you're not always the same person. And so, coming, I, I basically live here as a foreigner. You know, yeah. uh, I, te- I teach for New York University, so I, I live in a bubble. You know, in an academic bubble mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with this culture. Uh, most of my clients are international clients. So I really live here pretty much as if, you know, you decided to move here. It would be the same thing. Right, and, right. But it's, it's, it's interesting. At some point, you become this sort of weird um, citizen of the world, I guess. You know, you appreciate different things. And uh, home feels kind of everywhere. And, and, and you feel a little bit inadequate in every single place. Mm, it's bizarre. So, so let me ask you, you're, you're, I know you're Italian by uh, ethnicity, you're Italian-American by, by upbringing. So right. when you're in Italy, do people immediately recognize you as an American or can you blend in? Oh, that, 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 that's such a good question. No, you become this hybrid that mm. you don't fit anywhere. So for an Italian, I'm not Italian enough. You're a, it's true. And for an American, I'm not American enough, you know. Right, so basically, right. I'm, I'm kind, of, kind of homeless, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> that, um, that's the reason I love London. I love New York. Those are places with, so diverse in which yes. nobody is from there. Yes. And when I'm surrounded by those people, I feel at home. I feel that I don't have to explain to anyone, oh, this is me, this is what I went through, and da 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 type of thing. So it's, um, yeah, it's, um, I guess I, I, I blend in. But yeah, people know that I, that I, that I am and that I'm not from here. Great. Oh, it's fascinating. So uh, tell us a little bit about what you do, but I'm going to ask you a favor. I- explain it to us as if we were a five-year-old. Um, so if you were five years old, I would say, um, you know how you have friends and sometimes you fight with them and mm-hmm. sometimes you get along with them? Sure. Uh, I would say, so I help you getting along with them. Ah, 
Okay, great, great. It's a business, what I would say, because essentially I work with uh, lots of executives, you know, okay. different organizations, and I help them out uh, streamline improving their relationships with stakeholders. So it could be internal stakeholders, you know, teammates, uh, members of whichever board they sit in. It could be external stakeholders. And um, it's all about improving those relationships so you can bring better business results. So that's what I do. Great. Thank you for that explanation. Is it clear? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> if I was a five-year-old, I think I could understand it. Um, so I am so happy to have you here with us today. And let me share a story to sort of explain why. Uh, several years ago, um, I had to explain a process change to two coworkers of mine. Um, and it was one of those things where I really wanted to bring them on board. I mean, I could have easily said, this is the way we're going to do it. Just do it. But, you know, I don't really like to operate that way. And frankly, I don't think they would have responded very well to, not like anyone would, but they certainly wouldn't have responded well to that. And I had recently been sort of uh, reading and learning a few things about communication. And one of the things was this idea that you were 100% responsible for the communication. Normally we think of it as like 50-50, right? You talk, they listen 50-50. Mm -hmm. I come, come across this concept that if you're talking and they're not understanding, well, maybe what you're saying needs to be tweaked and adjusted. Mm. And the other concept that I came across, uh, it's by this gentleman, Peter Bregman, who does uh, a lot of coaching and uh, writes for Harvard Business Review. Uh, he wrote this great article about how sometimes when you say something to someone, you think you say it so clearly once, but you might need to say it like seven times before they right. really understand what you're saying. So with that, I go into this you know, meeting with, with, with these two ladies and I say, I try to, you know, I think I'm doing a great job. This is what we're going to do. And this is why it's better and blah, blah, blah. And then they immediately start pushing back. They're like, no, 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 no. And it was really curious to me because the change was going to make things easier for them. It was going to give them less work, at least in, in, in my mind. Mm. So I said, normally I would have gotten frustrated and upset, but I said, you know what, let's, let's reset. Maybe I'm not explaining things clearly to you. And I explained it in a second time. They softened up a little bit, but they were still hesitant. I said, well, just let me try to explain it one more time. I explained it a third time. And then it was almost magic. They were like, oh, yeah, we should definitely do that. That's a great idea. But it was like the third time I had to, to explain it to them before we actually had that kind of meeting of the minds. And mm -hmm. I think we all experienced that. And I'm, I'm so excited to have you sort of share why some of those things happened to us. But so... So as you repeated the same uh, process, you know, for the second or third time, mm -hmm. what type of adjustments do you make? Um, one was just saying it again. Two mm -hmm. was maybe changing the order or the way I described things, using some different words. Um, I just felt like, you know, the single time created like a, like a preconception in their mind. And if I just left it at that, it just would have stayed stuck there forever. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing is, one thing that has helped me out tremendously over the years um, is I imagine um, when I talk to someone, or it could be a team, I imagine them sort of wrapped in a bubble. Okay. You know, and the, and the bubble is basically their awareness. And awareness is awareness of the, our, our conversations. Awareness is you know, their values, their beliefs, uh, which is essentially how they view the world. And if I don't see this bubble, if I don't have an understanding of what they're capable of seeing it, um, I think it's very easy for communication to fail, such as 
I may say something really relevant, something applicable, but mm -hmm. if it falls too far from the bubble, it's almost like talking to a blind person. Mm. You know, something really to the point, very specific. It may even be the right solution to the problems, you know, but if it, if it falls too far, people don't see it. So essentially what I'm trying to say, I, I truly believe that communication is heavily impacted by how people interpret reality. It, there's no such a thing as the same interpretation of reality for every single person. You know, we all see things, the same thing in different ways. And if you don't have that understanding of how they view it, I think it's very difficult to, you know, fully communicate with someone. So by you repeating it the second, third time, I wonder if you got a better sense of, you know, what the expectations were, you know, what, 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 what was for them in that conversation so that you adjusted your, your delivery to a point that finally was understood. I, I really love that concept of, of the bubble of perception or understanding. So let me just make sure I'm clear. So really, ideally, you want to be inside that bubble yes. when you're communicating, not outside. Because if it's outside, then it's, it's like it doesn't exist for, from, from that person's perception. Is, is that kind of the concept? It is. And you can push the, the boundaries of the bubble. You, know, you can work on the edges. But if you are too far... I don't think the person is capable of, of doing it. It just, it, it, a concept that is too, too far away from, you know, her awareness. Yes, yes. Sort of like when you were explaining things to a five-year-old, right? Like if you gave your explanation as to an executive, then there's no way the five-year-old's bubble could stretch enough to, to accommodate what you were saying. Oh, Absolutely. that, that is a great concept. I may steal that from you, Stefano. <laughs> okay. So um, I want to show you an exaggerated, but, pretty common problem with communication and get your take. I went behind her back. I read it anyway. Stephen Hawking hates me. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I mean, the paper's terrible. But if I tell her, she'll know that I read it and she'll get really mad. I was beating him so bad he doesn't want to be friends anymore. <laughs> Why does everyone love me except Stephen Hawking? <laughs> Is it possible we're having two different conversations? How would I know? I'm not listening to you. Okay, here's what we're gonna do. Chess clock. We each get five minutes to talk about our problems. We'll take turns. Each turn will consist of a statement and a helpful response from the friend. Begin. I humiliated Stephen Hawking in a game of words with friends. He stopped playing, and now we're not friends anymore. He's probably busy. You're worried about nothing. Give it a couple more days, I'm sure he'll play, and you'll see that everything's fine. My turn. I can't let Penny hand in a bad paper, but how do I tell her it's bad without letting her know that I read it? Mm. Beats me. Now, <laughs> I know Hawking's not busy because I can see he's playing other people right now. Maybe since you're so good, he's taking his time to meet the challenge. I want Penny to enjoy it. Wallace told me he's a big baby. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that, and I played extract for 82 points. So it's all Amy's fault. She told me to play it. I've got to cut her loose. Sheldon, I wasn't done talking. She hands in the paper tomorrow. I know I could help her. She's my girlfriend. I, I should be allowed to help her. Why aren't I allowed to help her? Yeah, I hear you, brother. <laughs> You need to give me some advice. Uh, fine. Uh, women, huh? No. <laughs> Specific to my situation. But, uh, blonde women, huh? <laughs> Empathetic. It sucks to be you. <laughs> I quit. Leonard, wait. No. 
<laughs> so, Stefano, how would you characterize what just happened there? Hmm. Well, the same thing happened to me last night. Really? Uh, I really did. I was, I was at dinner at my sister's house, and she invited a bunch of friends. And um, one common theme about people that are really close to me, they have big personalities, right? Mm-hmm. And there's this friend, and she's an executive, she's a marketing director. And, um, you know, I see her every, I don't know, twice a, a month. And this is someone that I truly adore and love. And at some point, my sister was talking about, I think, politics. And she asked to my sister in a conversation, is that a Millennium Falcon? You know, the Star Wars thing? So mm-hmm. everyone turned and said, what are you talking about? So basically, she didn't follow the conversation at all. And she was noticing this Millennium Falcon, you know, this ah. toy that my sister had on the, the bookshelves. So we started laughing because we know she, does, she never listens, you know? <laughs> And it's like, God, here she goes. And um, no, what, what to take? Well, it's, um, this, um, when, I, when I did in my coaching school, you know, mm-hmm. I, I started with a coach, you. Um, with the school, what it does, it has a so-called guiding principles. And these okay. are basically theories that uh, they share with um, principles. They share with um, students to guide them as they navigate coaching and they understand coaching. And one of them says that people act in their own interest. Okay. Uh, which is, sounds like a selfish thing to say, but it's not really selfishness. What it means, it means uh, people, people have a path. You know, they, they, they are trying to unfold. They have life they try to live. And in any type of conversation, um, they have an interest. There's a reason for them to be part of the conversation, something they want to get out of it. And if you do not understand, you know, those different goals, those different interests, that's what that happens. So you basically, from this, I want to get this out of it, and another person wants something completely different. So I see that happen actually all the time. Hmm. Interesting. So people have their own interests. Yes. And if you're, what you're saying doesn't align with them, it's, it's an uphill struggle to, to get them to listen or even hear what you're saying. Absolutely. And, and that happens, with, um, that happens at, at work all the time with organizations. You know? and like a, a really silly thing that I do all the time, I, I use paraphrasing you know, with, okay. uh, with a team of people. So I, I asked permission, can we use this thing, this, this rule, such as every single time someone wants to add something to a conversation, before you reply, you have to summarize in your own words what the other person said. Oh. And so they set out, and in a matter of five minutes, it's all about, no, it's not what I said, no, it's not what I meant, you know, and <laughs> so they start laughing, which, which is good, and they understand, well, obviously, whatever we are saying, we are not getting it. And it's really, you know, different agendas, different interests. Sometimes, as you know, can get very political within organizations. But when you have a meeting or whatever that is, people have a different reasons to be in that situation. And there's something they want to get out of it. So I think the ability of having good conversations is to have the sensitivity of understanding the different, uh, yeah, dif- different agendas, different interests. Hmm. So I think one area where uh, listening can be more like a mixed martial arts match than a collaboration is, is the area of, of politics and political mm-hmm. discourse, which is why I think, uh, especially in America these days, as a rule of thumb, we, we tend to avoid that um, at work. So, um, but I'd like to share with you an example of how this can be very you know, charged and get your thoughts on it. Chief of Staff John Kelly tried to keep Amorosa from Donald, but now he may be taking the fall for the Robert Porter domestic abuse scandal. Mm-hmm. Kelly says that he was shocked, mm. shocked, I tell you, when he saw photographs of the abuse. We but the White House knew the FBI held up Porter security clearance over this a long time ago. This happened. The, the, White, uh, the, the White FBI House said we, 
he doesn't have security clearance because he might have abused these women. Mm -hmm. But why is Kelly so shocked? Shocked, well, I we tell shouldn't you. make levy All of, of that. We're talking about the abuse of a woman. I mean, look at that photo. Two. We should not We're be laughing. About Kelly. We're, We're talking, talking about, about Kelly. We're not talking about abuse right now. Don't say something one like that. Like, we are laughing and making We are laughing at him being shocked. It's not. It's very serious. Well, look, and as a Republican, I am offended. As a Democrat, I'm offended by Republicans. You're offended by Republicans. So all we, Republicans probably and everywhere. Offended by me sitting here. I'm offended by a party that that backs a racist. That, oh, my uh, that, God. That, oh, come on. Oh, come on, Megan. 72% of the Republican Party thinks you know, he's a good role model. I'm, I'm actually going on the Van Jones show on Saturday, and I was actually looking forward to talking about this in a way that yeah. is respectful yeah. and not being told that just because I'm a Republican, I'm offending you. We are not going to move the needle one way or the other, just throwing out platitudes and hubris like that. Yeah, and, and I would like to have a real conversation either. about oh, it. Oh, really? Oh, really? We'll I don't see. know why you're sitting here saying you're offended by all Republicans. I'm trying to give you because my perspective. Because 72% of them are backing you a racist... And, and somebody who has abused women, that's why. So, Stefano, is this why people will talk about pretty much anything but politics at work? What was going on there? That, that, that's, that's painful. It's, um, well, it's, um, hmm. it, you know, it's, a, it's a, such a weird moment. You know, it is such a bizarre moment. So, so bizarre. I mean, and I'm going to say something that everyone says, which is, the discourse around politics, anything else is so polarized. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't think it's ever been this way before. Mm. Um, what was happening? I think, well, you know, uh, Megan McCain, she's the daughter of Senator McCain. She joined The View this year. Okay. Um, so she's been on the panel for since I think January, maybe, yeah, something like that. And I've been watching The View more consistently for the past two years. And, and one thing is horrifying is the fact that when you, you know, like they post a video that underneath it, all the comments, you know, for viewers, and this woman, for God's sake, she receives so much hate. And uh -huh. I am a Democrat. You know, uh -huh. I, I'm, I'm liberal. Um, and, and I have to say that oftentimes when she talks, it is so difficult to, to hear what she has to say because it's okay. a point of view that is simply not, you know, it, it doesn't, doesn't click with my, my viewpoint. Sure. But every single time I often comment um, by saying, you know what, she has the hardest job on this panel. As she says it, I have to explain to the, other, to the other half of the country how Trump supporters think, mm -hmm. you know. And honest to God, I think that we need that desperately. Really, mm -hmm. we do. And so an effort that, that I'm trying, like, you know, the video just showed that it is painful to watch, but it's to put aside my beliefs, put aside my stereotypes, put aside anything that is going on and truly make an effort of understanding a point of view uh, with which I don't have to agree, you know. Mm -hmm. I, and the point I think what to take from that is the fact that in order for you to understand someone, you don't have to agree with that person. Mm -hmm. But that, that understanding, I think it's absolutely essential to, as she says, you know, move the needle to the next step. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, this divide is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So I, it, it pains me very often what she says, but I think her role is really crucial you know, to, to bridge that gap. Yeah, I, I think that's totally right. I, would, I agree with everything you said. And you know, one of the things I find interesting is in that context, you know, obviously they're on a TV show, but they're not being interviewed, you know, on the news. So it's, they're, they're not like, you know, pushing uh, an agenda, so to speak. Um, they really are kind of like talking together, similar to, you know, what you might do in the mm -hmm. office. And, and what I notice a lot is it becomes more about like, 
trying to convince the other person of your perspective, not to understand their perspective. And then, and then I do this as well. We all do this. And when you start to get frustrated, then it becomes like attacks and, and attacks could be, you know, very subtle from like, Oh, I throw out all the facts and figures like 72%, whatever, whatever, or it could become very personal. You know, like what kind of person says that sort of thing or thinks like that? And I just feel that it's like, it's almost like, you know, I think we need to have the conversation, but once it gets to that point, it's like kind of hard for it to be productive. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> it's not at all. I mean, it's, it, I understand both, both points of view and I understand that the rage and the reasons behind it. But once again, you don't, you don't move the conversation forward if you don't make that effort. You know, you really don't. Uh, particularly in this climate, I think it's, um, it is so uh, opposite. It's so polarized. And more than anything else, we, we, all of us really have to make it a true effort to understand what someone else, you know, that the bubble of consciousness is, that that's, what, that's the way that I, that I personally see it. So what have you found in, you know, not just in the realm of politics, but just in general, you know, when people are having difficult conversations or, or talking to someone who, you know, may initially have a very adversarial or, or, you know, diverse point of view from you, what have you found from your clients has sort of helped them bridge that gap or, or make things better? Um, what we just saw in the video, I think oftentimes it's something important to happen because one thing that is really dear to people, they, they want their point of view to be acknowledged. You know, they mm. want their point of view to be acknowledged, voiced out. You have to be able to see it. So what I've seen is this. Oftentimes I use actually, uh, sometimes I do coaching, sometimes facilitation. Um, I let the lively discussion to happen. It's always monitored by me. But okay. I make sure that people really take it out of the chest, you know, that it, it's out there. And then eventually once they're done, I say, all right, now we take a break. Sometimes we do like a, a mild, you know, breathing exercise, something to basically to help them out getting out of that energy. And then uh, once we come back after 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you find people neutral. You know, there's nothing to be said. You know, my point is out there. Okay. They, feel, they don't feel they need to repeat again because everything has been said, has been written, it's clear. And so I asked them, so are we ready to move on? And I asked them, now we really, to move on, we means we have to leave this behind knowing that all our positions have been fully uh, represented. Yes. And it's pretty incredible when that happens, you know? So for me, the conversation is not necessarily a bad conversation as long uh -huh. as eventually, you know, you have another type of conversation that brings the, that brings the whole thing to a different level. Oh, that is, that is very interesting. So what, what I'm hearing is that by having the conversation, even if, even if it's charged, it allows people to get that out and then you need a break because then people need to come down and, and, and process that. But then you can actually move forward. Whereas if you hadn't had that conversation, you, you'd still kind of both be stuck. People don't move forward if they feel that they are not adequately represented in the conversation. Yes, yes. Basically, you know, if you know that I finally understood what, what you had to say, mm -hmm. even if I disagree with you, but you know that I know, Mm -hmm. you know, what are we what are we arguing about? You know, I mean, it, it's already there. But if people feel that, no, I'm not, my point hasn't come across, that's usually when they continue endlessly, you know, beating the same bush. Great, great. Thank you for that. You shared with me earlier your slogan that you had come up with, communication is key to changing the world. I'm going to repeat that because I really love this. Communication is key 
to changing the world. Mm. Uh, share with the audience a little bit uh, how that came about, what that means to you, and, and how you've seen that reflected in your work. Well, this one happened years ago, and I was working with a, a phenomenal mental coach. Um, her name is uh, Elizabeth. And um, we were talking on, we were discussing actually the, the value proposition of my business, what makes it different. So, and you know, finding business is so, so, so very difficult to explain yourself in simple words, you know, like as you would talk to a five years old. Mm -hmm. I was talking, 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 talking. At some point, I blasted out that. And the reason why I said that is because partially is my professional background. I come from marketing, communication has been such a, a common theme in my life. And the reason why I think is the key to changing the world is because as humans, we don't have any other, so to speak, weapons, you know, to get along other than communication. We really don't. That's mm -hmm. all we have, you know. And what I've noticed with clients, and this is not something that, I, that I've ever done any sort of, you know, statistical uh, study or anything, but uh, what I've noticed that every single time a client engages me in a project, uh, they discuss an issue, which could be most of the time it's a, it's a process type of issue. It could be a managerial process. It doesn't work. Let's say, you know, how we reach decisions, how we, um, how we share information, or it could be an organizational process. You know, uh, our procurement has to be fine-tuned. And then as you dig, 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 eventually the main problem very often is a communication breakdown among key stakeholders. It means that someone which was key in that uh, conversation, didn't mm -hmm. communicate fully with another person. Mm. Really, so much is communication-based, you know, miscommunication and anything um, connected with it, you know, difficulty managing difficult conversations, difficulty in um, acknowledging someone else's points of view. So, and, and that's the reason why I decided, I thought, well, this could be my specialty. And that's, and that's the reason why I say communication is key to changing the world. Wow, that is really great. Which is a perfect segue into the next segment. Uh, let's take a look at what can happen when communication is done a little bit better. Why did you do this, Allie? This is terrible. Oh, great. This is Michael's giraffe. He's crying now. Why did you do this? Cause. Cause is not an answer. Active listening. Ray, that doesn't work. It works. I just use it on the worst kids in the neighborhood. Would you? Look at this. Look what she Just did. Just try it. Try it. Not Ray. I'll do it. You want me to do it? I'll no, do it. no, no, no. Okay. Ellie, let's talk about what you did. I don't want to talk. Are you feeling angry? Reflect back. You're, you're angry. Yes. Okay. But it's not okay to rip up toys when we're angry. Ah, uh, 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 judgmental. <laughs> You are angry because, um... Because it used to be your toy. Oh. Yes. Hmm? <laughs> I don't like my toy, Jeffrey. I see, I see. You think that um, Mommy and Daddy pay too much attention to Michael and Jeffrey. Right, okay, I was handling this. Okay. They get everything. Right, and you're upset because we gave them your old giraffe. I still liked it. But you weren't playing with it. But that doesn't matter, though, because <laughs> it was still yours. And you're mad because we gave it to Michael without asking you, right? Right. Well, uh, Mommy and Daddy made a mistake. And, and everybody makes mistakes, right, Mommy? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> 
You feel better now, Allie? Yes. Can I have the giraffe? Well, it's broken, honey. I know. I want to try to fix it for Michael. So, uh, Stefano, what did Ray do well here? Well, the, the, um, the one thing that it's, it's, it's good is the fact acknowledging a mistake. Yes. You know, which, which is something that uh, people hardly do. It's all about finger pointing, you know? Uh-huh. And, and the finger pointing um, creates a much larger problem. So admitting okay. a mistake, I think it's a, such a powerful thing because realistically, we make a ton of mistakes, all of us, you know? Of course. But the most part, people are, are, are fine with it as long as you fix it, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, but I think when uh, some wrongdoing happen and you don't take responsibility for that, that's when people really become, you know, polarized big time. So that, that's one. Um, and then, you know, it's a funny clip. And, and, and at some point towards the end, he says, um, he says, you know, I'm a natural, you know, I'm really good at doing this, you know, and, and, and it's not, you know, it's really not. Yes. Um, it's really not. It's, uh, I remember like years ago, I was dating someone at some point, you know, didn't work out, unfortunately. And I was accused, you know what? You say that you are an expert at this and that. What you do not know, uh, you know, uh-huh. uh, you are the worst because. And I said, "Oh my God, this is true." <laughs> Even being someone who does this, I, I would say for a living, you know, and I know the dynamics. But when you have to do it in your own life, it's a different yes. story, you know. So I can be great helping clients, but when I have to do the same thing, and I'm mm-hmm. the one invested emotionally in the conversation i i struggle i wouldn't say just like anybody else hopefully experience help but it really requires a constant practice so i don't think it's something that you will ever you know learn and now i know you constantly have to hone it well what you said reminded me of something that i that i've been thinking about lately that i truly believe that especially in your kind of closer relationships right whether it's a significant other or or a family member there is a little bit more, I don't want to say freedom or safety, but there's a little bit more um, likelihood that people are going to give you honest feedback, right? Mm -hmm. So they're going to, you know, in a moment of upset or maybe even just concern, they're going to say, hey, you know, you're doing this and and it's upsetting and it's not right. and, And they're going to call you, you know, on that. And you can do what you want with that. And, but it's, it, it's a way to get feedback that can help you improve as a person, like you were talking about. Yeah. Often in working situations, how often do any of us really get that feedback, whether it's from a coworker, uh, a boss, or even from the people who work for you? I mean, think about how less likely it is for you to get feedback from the people who you work for if you're doing something that's easily fixable, yeah. but they're not going to tell you that because they don't know if you're going to chop their head off. It is true. Um, I, I often ask feedback to the people mm-hmm. that I, even in the day I was talking to this woman who's, um, she's, um, she works for, for a consultancy mm-hmm. uh, that represents me. And we had a phone call with a new client and, um, and I thought it went fine. But you know, during the call, the client asked a bunch of questions. So I thought, God, did I answer correctly? So anyway, so afterwards we talked and I said, uh, can you please give me feedback about, do you think is there anything I could have done differently? And she went like, oh my God, uh, I can't believe you're asking me this. I said, what would you mean? I said, well, that's such a, such a, such a difficult question. And I, I could sense her hesitation. You know, yes. to, you know? And eventually she said, no, I think everything went fine. You know? And she made a couple of points. But you know, feedback truly is an art. Um, I mean, receiving criticism to improve is, 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 is quite you know, 
it's quite difficult sometimes. But yes, given an honest feedback in a way that is um, helps the person develop, it truly is an art. And I don't think many people know how to do it. Yeah, I, I think uh, I don't remember the exact quote, but uh, there's a, a coach, a famous coach who says pretty much that like a really great coach is one who's able to give feedback or instruct his players without them rejecting it or resenting it and actually using it to improve. Like you said, it's, mm -hmm. it's definitely an art. Um, so I have to congratulate you, Stefano, because I asked you to see if there were things or clips that you would want to share with us. And you found a brilliant one, which I'd like to share now. I, I really enjoyed this one. I, I probably wouldn't have found it myself. So hmm. let me cue this up. I want you to take the card and I want you to put it on your forehead and take a card, take a card, any card. Um, and I want you to treat other people like the race that is on their forehead, okay? So everybody has a different race. Nobody knows what their race is. So I want you to really go for it. Because this is real. You know, this isn't just an exercise. This is real life. And I have a dream that you will really let the sparks fly. Get her done. There's this great Chris Rock bit about how streets named after Martin Luther King tend to be more violent. I'm not going to do it, but it's... Oh, this is a good one. Um, hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Great. Um, I admire your culture success in America. Thank you. Bum, bum, ba, bum, bum. Come on, Olympics of suffering right here. Slavery versus the Holocaust. Come on. Let's, so let's, to it's going to percolate. No, no, no. Well, that, that was an inadvertent. We didn't actually plan that. Lots of cultures eat rice. It doesn't help me. Um, shalom. I'd like to apply for a loan. That's nice, Dwight. Okay, do me. Something stereotypical so I can get it really quick. Okay, I like your food. Uh... Outback Steakhouse. I'm Australian, mate. Pam. No. Pam, come on. I like your food. No, come on. Stir the pot. Stir the melting pot, Pam. Let's do it. Let's get ugly. Let's get real. Okay. If I have to do this, based on stereotypes that are totally untrue, that I do not agree with, you would maybe not be a very good driver. Oh, man, am I a woman? Hey. Hey. You want to go to the beach? Sure. You want to get high? No. I think you do, Mon. Stop. It. Okay. All right. No. All right. That's good. It, you, you just you need you need to push it. You know you need to go a little bit further. Uh, all right. What? Okay. Kelly, how are you? I had the longest meeting. Oh, welcome to my convenience store. Would you like some googie googie? Oh, I have some very delicious googie googie. Only ninety nine cents plus tax. Try my googie googie. Try my googie googie. Try my googie googie. Try my. All right. All right. Yes. That was great. She gets it. Now she knows what it's like to be a minority. Oh my god, I had to control myself from no, laughing no. during out out. It's so uncomfortable. Nasi <laughs> Carell is a genius. He's an absolute genius. I love him. Yeah, you know, well obviously it's a, it's um it's a it's a comedic thing, but no, it, it, it does shows to the extreme what what happens all the time. We all harbor you know all these um 
stereotypes, all these shortcuts in terms of how you're supposed to behave based on the, the quick you know, evaluation of you. So if you're Asian, boom, you are in that box. If you are mm-hmm. Italian, you're in the other box. You know, like at the beginning of our podcast, you asked me how was uh, for you to go back to Italy, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's been incredible to see how a bunch of stereotypical, you know, patterns, you know, cultural patterns that belong to the American culture. Now, a part of me and people here, they view me through those lenses, although I was born here. And uh, you cannot escape them because it's how we make sense of the world, you know? So we use all those shortcuts. But the biggest difference, in my opinion, is are you aware of your own stereotypes or your own biases? And if you are, you, you still use them to navigate throughout your conversations. Uh, if you're not aware, unfortunately, you are, you know, you fall in those traps all the time. Mm, I like how you use the word traps because mm-hmm. to me, part of the awareness is that if you're aware of that it's happening or why you're doing it, you can make a choice as to when to go with that or when to do something to consider something else. Because if you don't, you are no longer consciously using this to your advantage. You're just responding like a, like a robot or an algorithm. And it's not always in your best interest to, to use that shortcut. Yeah, and I think, you know, particularly in a, when you deal with um, cultures, they are, you know, we say melting pot, you know, somehow the U.S. oftentimes is, is like that. I think that um, people are so afraid of acknowledging the fact that they do have those stereotypes, you know. Mm-hmm. So I should not be saying this, I should not be saying that. And, and obviously you should have a great sensitivity in terms of how you relate to people, how you talk to them. But the thing is, stereotypes, they, they do exist, you know, uh, in order for us to navigate very quickly. Mm-hmm. Our life. So it's not a matter of feeling guilty that I have a stereotype. And definitely I, I have my own stereotypes. You know? We all do. Yeah. But I think the biggest thing is, um, is to be so afraid of them that you don't even acknowledge them. And then they really rule you know, your life because they're going to push you. you know, they're going to they're gonna be all sorts of different triggers you know, as, you, as, you, as you talk to people. Yeah. I, I think stereotypes are, are such a fascinating uh, topic. Uh, and, and one, there's certainly, you know, we can move the needle a lot on, on, on that discourse. Um, the other thing I find kind of interesting that your, your conversation has uh, reminded me of is, uh, and, and you may deal with this in your coaching practice, is unconscious bias, right? Mm-hmm. There could be things where you don't even realize yeah. that you are biased in a certain way. And sometimes it's like a good thing, like you, you think certain types of people are good and it's not even like actively bad against someone else but it actually creates a a blind spot for you where where you're not truly making a judgment based on you know your 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 skills and your you know expertise and your wisdom but it's more just a bias that that you've learned or been taught somehow so does that come up at all in your in your coaching and with your clients Mm, it does it happened to me yeah, well, the first thing that comes to mind recently, I started coaching a new person. Okay. And, um, and, and the funny thing, uh, this is a she, and basically she said, uh, you know, I feel stuck. I feel mm. completely stuck. And uh, I'm not going to go into details, obviously I can't. Of course, but of course. I, I feel stuck and, and she belongs to a specific, she has a specific cultural background. And so right away before our first conversation, I started, here you go. She's going to be blah, 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 blah. She's going to be talkative. She's going to be animated. She's going to be this and that. 
And I had all these things happen in my head. And fortunately, I caught myself, you know. Ah. But, you know, coaching is funny because I honestly believe that it's not that coincidental that you end up with certain clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't like to dwell too much in this sort of thought. But I have to say that um, there are specific dynamics that come out of a coaching um, uh, exchange that not only help the client, but helps me tremendously. So even when that happens, you know, and when I, and I distinctively feel that unconscious bias, somehow there's some part of my life that I, that I need to work on as a person. So the coaching session truly serves the client just as much as me, you know, but it's also true that if you harbor a strong bias, as it happened, it never happened to me actually, but it happened to uh, colleagues of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had to uh, stop the coaching agreement. They decided mm-hmm. to consciously stop it because they were not able uh, to provide that, you know, neutral, uh, you know, uh, point of view that, that, that it's needed in order for you to serve the client. I would love to get your opinion on something in, in, in that regard, right? So mm-hmm. in that moment, you, 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 you caught yourself and, and you, you adjusted. Now, for a lot of people, they're not even there yet where, where they could catch themselves because they don't even realize what it is. Um, and I think probably, and you can correct me uh, if I'm wrong, a lot of your ability to catch yourself and recognize the it is because you've reflected on that mm-hmm. as part of your growth, your development, your coaching, whatever you've, you've gotten there as part of a process. Mm-hmm. And, and my question related to that is why do people, and I include myself in this group, have such a challenge with that sort of self-reflection and, and taking the time and asking those kind of hard questions to, to improve ourselves? So do you refer specifically pertaining unconscious biases or any sort of developmental work? Just in general, right? Like just stopping, you know, getting off the treadmill and just, you know, assessing and saying, you know, what am I doing? Who am I? You know, how do I think about things? Just really stopping and saying, you know, taking pause and sort of measuring uh, where you're at. And and I I would guess that like 90% of the people don't Mm. do this. Maybe that's even too low of a percentage but what what is sort of the barrier in your mind to 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 not being able to do that more the the first two that came to mind i believe one is cultural Mm -hmm. and particularly if you talk about the u.s culture god forbid for you to stop for five minutes and not (laughs) go 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 no seriously i'm gonna take an hour for myself you know because actually that's functional for me being productive you know and no way you're supposed to do this and this and this and that Um, so part of it, I think is cultural and the other thing that came to mind, I truly believe that it's painful. You know, uh, we like to think of developmental paths and improving as, um, as a method, you know, you do that and you're going to get there, but you really have to roll up your sleeves. You know, you have to work hard and Mm -hmm. it can be very uncomfortable, very, very uncomfortable. Not always. I'm not saying that it should always be like, uh, know being on the on, on the edge of a nerve breakdown but it can be very very uncomfortable to see yourself and to see things that for sure you 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 know more or less consciously but you are afraid of you know putting you know under the, the correct lens so um yeah it really requires probably also a certain degree of courage to yes. see what they are you know yes. i think courage has a lot to do with it i have no doubt that anyone can improve you know because i've seen this happening again and again and again and I believe that um, if you do it with the help of, uh, of someone, they can, uh, you know, in terms of it could, be a, it could be a facilitator, it could be a coach, it could be a mentor, it could be whatever you want, uh, that's even easier. 
but it, it definitely takes a certain level of um, courage and the ability of withstanding um, just discomfort, you know, when, when, when that happens. Yeah. So what I'm taking away from this is, you know, just a, a cultural thing, an ability to take the time to stop. Uh, the fact that it is hard work, you really have to roll up your sleeves. It's not a simple formula that you can just plug in and, and get a better result. And, and the third thing, the third thing you said is the courage yes. to really pull back yeah. and see what's there. And sometimes you might not like what you see, but mm. you have to address that. You have to understand it in, in order to move forward uh, and get to a point which is, which is more positive and that you will like better because we talked about courage. The one thing that I do not know, mm -hmm. I do not know why some people do it, some people don't. That I don't know. It's something that I'm trying to figure out myself. You know, how can it be that some people have the courage to do it and others don't? That I really do not know. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that some people are very brave and some people simply don't feel like doing it, which is fine, you know? But what triggers the courage to do it, that I truly do not know. It's interesting. Definitely something to be uh, explored further. And if you figure it out, please let me know. <laughs> All right. So let me share with you another uh, example. So delivering bad news is always bad, right? But many times we seem to find ways to make it worse, but some people find a way to, to actually do it in a way that, that can have some positives. So I just want to share with you uh, an example of a master at work. What do you suggest I tell them? Perhaps you're underestimating the positive effect that your career transition can have on your children. The positive effect? Make about 90 grand a year now. Unemployment is what, 250 bucks a week? Is that one of your positive effects? Well, we'll get to be cozier because I'm not going to be able to pay my mortgage on my house. So maybe we can move into a nice fucking one bedroom apartment somewhere. And I guess without benefits, I'll be able to hold my daughter as she, you know, suffers from her asthma that I won't be able to afford the medication for. Well, <clears throat> tests have shown that children under moderate trauma have a tendency to apply themselves academically as a method of coping. Go fuck yourself. That's what my kids will think. Your children's admiration is important to you? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Well, I doubt they ever admired you, Bob. Hey, asshole, aren't you supposed to be consoling me? I'm not a shrink, Bob. I'm a wake-up call. You know why kids love athletes? I don't know, because they screw lingerie models. No, that's why we love athletes. Kids love athletes because they follow their dreams. Well, I can't dunk. No, but you can cook. What are you talking about? Your resume says that you minored in French culinary arts. Most students, they're working the fryer at KFC, but you bust tables at the old Picador to support yourself. And then you get out of college, and you come and you work here. How much did they first pay you to give up on your dreams? 27 grand a year. And when were you going to stop and come back and do what makes you happy? Good question. I see guys who work at the same company for their entire lives, guys exactly like you. They 
clock in, they clock out, and they never have a moment of happiness. You have an opportunity here, Bob. This is a rebirth. Now, if not for you, do it for your children. So what just happened here? Was that magic? I mean, <laughs> it started out so badly. And this guy just totally turned it. What happened? What was the difference? Uh, I think that he tapped into his values. And, and actually, what, what he says, um, what George Clooney said, is some, I mean, I agree with it 100%. The fact that, um, um, you know, if I'm honest, with the, the vast majority of, of clients, of organizations I work with, I see a lot of pain. I see a lot of dissatisfaction. I see a lot of people that, um, you know, are talented, they're conscientious, but somehow there's always in the back of their minds, uh, am I really living the professional path that I'm, that I'm supposed to, you know? Wow. And that's something that I can honestly say happens a lot. You know, uh, I can count on, on, on one <laughs> amount of organizations in which I saw people really fully online, you know? And it's interesting because, you know, you know, if you work in human resources, you always talk about alignment between people's values, you know, their mission, what they want to do and a company's culture and what the company is trying to accomplish, you know, with products and services, you know, and obviously as you work for an organization, uh, oftentimes you have to do a lot of things that it's not really what you would like to do. But yeah, I think a lot of people continue for many, many years pursuing something that doesn't resonate with them, you know, and that comes up with a lot of coaching sessions. Actually, I had conversations like, that one in the clip, you know, with several clients. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think something, it's not magic, but I think it's when you create a space for the person to, to say, all right, this is happening. And maybe this is the moment to tap into something that is really important to you, um, to something that has always been there, but you never pay attention to it that much. That could be maybe the lesson to learn, you know? And, and when that happens, yes, people, I, I guess they start seeing a, what seems to be as a disaster as a potential opportunity, you know, so what's in this for me, this is happening. I don't like it, but this could be the beginning of, you know, this and this and this and that. So I think it, long story short, I think when you tap into someone's values um, and, and, and people perceive a, gr a greater sense of alignment, that's when things turn around. So I'm going to bridge something from what you earlier, what you said mm -hmm. earlier to what you're saying now, I feel like the values are within that person's bubble right? Yeah. When you're talking to their values, you're like, you're like squarely in the center of, of, of that person, you know, of, of that bubble. And, and that's why even something bad can, can trigger sort of a change or, or, or a positive, a silver lining versus, yes. you know, what she was doing seemed like it was like way outside the bubble. She's like quoting statistics and, oh, conceptually, theoretically, this is supposed to be better for these kids mm -hmm. in a study. And he, you know, curses at her understandably because it's, it like lacks any sort of uh, empathy. I think when, uh, when, when you help people aligning with the values, you see their energy, their performance going up, you know. So I think we should, we should try, I think, as organizations to do that as much as possible. Wow, Stefano, aligning with your values. I think that's a great note uh, mm -hmm. for us to, to end on. Um, I just wanted to share, it's been a real treat to talk to you and, and learn from your expertise and experience in organizational communication. Are there any updates or things you are working on that you'd like to share with our audience? Um, well, it's, uh, this morning I was working with, uh, with my 
with my business partner. And basically, I mean, to make a long, long story short, we're working on, uh, there's, there's a client that asked us for a facilitation program. And what we're working on, we noticed that one thing that probably lots of organizations need, um, they would benefit tremendously from having people, uh, basically internal facilitators, they are capable of handling conversations and they could work as sensors so that they could be able to detect issues you know, within organizations uh, before they spin out of control, uh, ah. which, which basically means you know, uh, giving some, some ability to listening to people in a certain way, providing feedback in a certain way, communicating in a certain way. So essentially, you know, transferring some uh, organizational development skills and creating internal facilitators, as, as I said, as, as sensors so that before you know, things may explode, you know, they, they may see some dynamics and they could rectify them. You know? And, and sure, use an external consultant or whatever, but I think that could help organizations to optimize their budgets and their time rather than waiting for things to, once again, spin out of control and then you know, invest in a ton of money and time to rectify it. So I'm working on that. Great. I think that's such important work and, and really taps into some of your other uh, comments before about having the courage to, to do something like that. It's, it's not easy. You got to roll up your sleeves. You might not see what you, you might not like what you see. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like the, the payoff is, is just tremendous to those organizations that you're working with. I believe so. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, thank you, Stefano, uh, for sharing your insights on why it works. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Why It Works. For more information about Joquanjo coaching, as well as access to my articles, videos, and podcasts, visit joquanjo.com. And stay tuned for our next Why It Works adventure.